Welcome to another episode of Yesterday's Capers. I'm Abdullah Molim and every week I'll be bringing you the very best shows from the past that the world has to offer. Happy Women's History Month. That's right, it's girl power all day, every day. And for the next month, we'll look back on some pretty awesome TV shows and cartoons starring some iconic women. This week, we're talking the classic sitcoms as we put girls on top against birds of a feather. And we take a special look at and we'll celebrate the brilliance that is the Golden Girls. Man, this was such a fun show and I really can't wait to talk about it. So, let's get started. And uh, joining me as ever, it's producer Paul. Hey man, how's it going? I'm alright, I'm alright. I think uh, we've gone back on track a little bit this week. Yeah, I think like, uh, I mean, I'd heard of two out of the three shows that we did today and I'd only seen one of them before. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think this this week as a cracking lineup. Right, we're going to go on now to the episode and we're going to start with The Golden Girls. So this show came out in September 1985 again and uh, some of the things happening in the world. The wreck of the RMS Titanic is located by a joint American-French expedition led by Dr. Robert Ballard and Jean-Louis Michel using a side-scan sonar from RV Noor. Pete Rose becomes the all-time hit leader in Major League Baseball with his 4,192nd hit at the Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati. Kalina, the first captive orca born at SeaWorld, as well as the first to survive past infancy is born in SeaWorld Orlando. After Hours was in the cinemas and Holding Out for a Hero by Bonnie Tyler was in the charts. I do I'm a bit I'm a I'm a fan of Bonnie Tyler. Total Eclipse of the Heart is definitely one of my favorite songs. Yeah, Holding Out for a Hero is very catchy and it's so f- upbeat and so fast. It reminds me of Shrek. <laughs> She was the uh, Eurovision um, Song Contest nominee in uh, 2013, I think it was. Oh, really? The song she had to sing was awful, though. I mean, Eurovision's awful. It is it's terrible, man. I don't know why people even watch it. Because it's fun. It's an, it's an evening of fun. It's just Europeans just being daft for one evening. It's great. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's silly. It's ridiculous. To each his own in that, but I mean, I'm not, I won't be watching it anytime soon. We used to watch it as a family as well. We would watch it Saturday when it used to come on, when 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 people when people uh, when people actually cared. And you know the crazy thing about Eurovision is like everybody sends their best. We send Bonnie Tyler, and the because because I I was at the Graham Norton show with some friends. We went to you went to see that. We went to the Graham Norton show. Yeah, nice. It was so annoying because that week it was, um, I think, Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, I don't even remember who else was, was was on the thing. And it was Bonnie Tyler doing the performance. And it was basically, um, she had to perform. The thing, what they do is that the musical performance is first. And they have to sing the song twice. And I uh, had to listen to that Bonnie Tyler Eurovision song twice. And it didn't get any better. <laughs> it, didn't get, it didn't get better at all. It, it got worse. And I just thought, yeah, not for me. And, you know, the week after was when uh, Will Smith and Jaden was on and they did, like, a whole performance of, like, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And I was like to my friend, why you ain't get tickets for that show? 
<laughs> I don't yeah. even remember who was on the sofa that day, but it was it was pretty. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't like it was. It was a good show. I think I was on camera. I made it onto the camera. Really? Yeah. You can I'm like gonna... see me like right. I'm looking at the, back the episode somewhere. It's like 2013 Benedict Cumberbatch, and you had like someone from Hong Kong going, "I'm a Cumber bitch. I love Benedict Cumberbatch," and yeah, that's what his fans refer themselves as, Cumber bitches. Really? Oh wow. Okay, fair enough. I didn't know that. <laughs> The Golden Girls. So this was a uh, American TV sitcom created by Susan Harris, and it starred Beatrice Arthur, Betty White, Rue McClanahan, and Estelle Getty. There's four older women who share friendship and home in Miami. It was produced by Whit Thomas and Harris Productions in association with Touchstone Television. And Paul Junga Witt and Tony Thomas served as the original exec producers so yeah the first episode it, it had a butler named coco but he was dropped because they thought that uh, a male interaction between the women occurring in the kitchen while preparing and eating food would uh, distract from their friendship so uh yeah coco got got and uh in terms of uh, the character of sophia it had originally been planned as a, an occasional guest star, but because she tested positively with preview audiences that the producers decided to make her a regular character. And as a result of her late addition to the regular cast, Sophia appears in very few of the earliest publicity shots for the show that would be used to promote the first season. And during the NBC upfront, the preview screening of the show got a stand innovation. So you, people just, you just knew that this show was going to bang. And the show promptly received an order for 12 episodes. It was an instant ratings hit. And the Golden Girls became an NBC staple on Saturday nights. And the show was the anchor of NBC's Saturday lineup. Almost always won its time slot as ABC and CBS struggled to find shows to compete against it. And the most notable being ABC's Lucille Ball sitcom, Life with Lucy. The Golden Girls was part of a series of Brandon Tartikoff shows that put an end to NBC's rating slump, along with The Cosby Show, 227, Night Court, Miami Vice and LA Law. Writer and producer Linda Bloodsworth Thompson created a sitcom with this kind of image as four women show which became Designing Women on CBS. Designing Women began competing against the Golden Girls in the same slot. However, the Golden Girls got the higher result and the higher rating, resulting in CBS pushing Designing Women to Wednesdays. And at the crest of Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, who was reputedly a big fan, the cast of the Golden Girls performed several skits as their characters in front of her and other members of the royal family at the 1988 Royal Variety Performance in London. The Golden Girls received critical acclaim throughout most of its run and won several awards, including the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Comedy Series twice. It also won three Golden Globe Awards for Best TV Series, Musical or Comedy. Each of the four stars received an Emmy Award, making it one of only four sitcoms in the awards history to achieve this. The theme song, Thank You For Being A Friend, which was performed by Cynthia Fee, 
Which was amazing, by the way. Yeah, it's uh, originally a song by uh, Andrew Gold. And he was a, a singer who is uh, very, very big on Magic and uh, Smooth FM. Oh, I'm a big fan of Magic. Except for Christmas, when they play Christmas songs on repeat. Well, it's Christmas. Yeah, but it's literally non-stop Christmas songs. What do you expect? Uh, the odd Christmas song would be nice, just normal music. Well, go ahead and listen to the other radio stations then, because it's, it's, that's, that's what they do. But no, they always play... Uh, they always play Andrew Gold songs on those uh, on those uh, radio stations. But yeah, thank you for being a friend. It's, yeah, it's such a really, really nice, uh, really good uh, theme song. The series also ranked among the Nielsen's rating top 10 for six of its seven seasons. In 2013, TV Guide ranked the Golden Girls number 54 on its list of 60 best series of all time. Should be way higher than 54. In 2014, the Writers Guild of America placed the sitcom at number 69 in their list of the 101 best written TV series of all time. The series continues to attract new fans in the 21st century and is considered an example of a sitcom that has aged well. The Golden Girls came to an end when B. Arthur, or Dorothy, chose to leave the series. And in the hour-long series finale, which aired in 1992, Dorothy meets and marries Blanche's uncle Lucas and they move to Hollingsworth Manor in Atlanta. Sophia is to join her, but in the end, she stays behind with the other women in Miami. This led to the spin-off series, The Golden Palace. The series finale of The Golden Girls was watched by 27.2 million viewers. And as of, you know, uh, a period of time, it was the 17th most watched TV finale. A uh, quick, quick summary of the uh, the Golden Girls. There was Dorothy Zabornak, who is a substitute teacher born in Brooklyn, New York, to Sicilian immigrants Sophia and Salvadore Petrillo. Dorothy became pregnant while still in high school, resulting in marriage to Stanley Zabornak. Rose Nyland, who is a Norwegian-American from the small farming town of St. Olaf, Minnesota, often slightly naive and known for her humorously peculiar stories of life growing up in her hometown. Blanche Devoro, who is a Southern belle employed at an art museum, born into a wealthy family. Blanche grew up as the apple of her father's eye on a plantation outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Sophia Petrillo, who is Dorothy's mother, born in Sicily and moved to New York after fleeing an arranged marriage. Crazy thing is that, uh, Sophia Petrillo, who was the uh, mum of Dorothy, and she was only in real life a year older. But they, like, dressed her up to make her look, you know, slightly older than her character. So, the Golden Girls, thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. So this is a show, like, I think almost everybody in the whole world is aware of this show's existence, at least. Um, it kind of like I'm not sure if anyone's seen like Better Call Soul, but there's like a, there's like a whole season about a care home and all these women in the care home. Kind of reminded me. I mean, before I'd even seen it, kind of reminded me of this kind of this show. But um, yeah, so like I said, kind of like a show about older women. I thought this show just worked straight from the offset. Uh, the script was great. Like they had, they seemed to have like a lot of banter between the girls. It's just a great show, man. Like, I don't know what to. Don't even know where to kind of begin with it. To be fair, 
I think along with the Desmonds, I think this might be the most endearing show that we've done. Yeah. Just the idea of like four older women who have, you know, been widowed or divorced, who were all kind of lonely and they sort of found each other, formed this uh, tight knit bond of like friendship, companionship, all of those things. It's just, it's, I just love that whole idea because obviously when you're, when you get older and maybe like uh, your husband or your wife might pass away and chances are you're going to be very, very lonely. And I think I read somewhere a long time ago about um, like, if you've been married for like 40, 50, God knows how many years. And if the wife passes away first, the statistics show that the man would pass away within the year because he won't because for us men it's a lot more difficult for us to like reach out and and make friends it it just is for us men everything about that show like the way it was done with the whole friendship companionship i do think in terms of like the script writing it was very like get to the punchline we gotta get punchlines in here there and everywhere and for the most part i didn't mind I think it kind of did get a little repetitive. Yeah, except for when except for when Ma came in or Sophia, she was just lay down this brutal line. Oh my god, she was just the I would I was laughing so much with some of the stuff that she was coming out with. Yeah, I mean, I watched one about something about they're in a funeral home and do you know like like uh, this guy had like a silent what would normally be a silent P in his names, and then. And then he says, oh, my name now is pronounced like this and it's not silent. And then she's like, well, I'm going to punch you in your face. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, so yes, it's just like kind of her very dry, very like kind of almost yeah. cold humor. I, I really enjoyed that. No, definitely. And uh, yeah, I mean, let's let's kind of get into episodes. First scene is the kind of everyone's at a breakfast table and, or dinner table. Actually, no, they're in the kitchen anyway. And uh, Dorothy comes in and she says, um, that she was like these, she's just subbed uh, in the classroom, and some of the key, the kids had like green hair. One of the girls, or three girls, were bald, and then she says, "I sent them out because they were too ugly to look at," or something like that. And uh, <laughs> I thought that's quite funny, but she made the parents mad. Rose, so this is what kind of way learn what everyone's doing. So uh, Rose is working in bere- bereavement counselling, and she's like, "God, I just had one depressed person after another, or something like that." And she's like, "Well, you do work in uh, bereavements." Uh, Blanche comes in, and she's looking for cucumbers because she's going out. Dor- so yes, well, you know Dorothy's name because I don't say it before this, where she's the main teacher lady. Blanche is is about to go out with this man called Harry that she's kind of just met. Um, and you also learn here that they're living in Miami. Uh, Dorothy is talking to the um, talking to the teachers in the teachers ta- teachers lounge, and she has she had fun talking to the girls, but she didn't. She felt young whilst talking to her, and then she's like looked in the mirror. She sees herself. She's like, oh god, um, she feels old. I like this. Sorry, it was when she's like, oh, you know, and I look in the reflection and I see someone who's older, and then Rose is like, who's that? Who then? was it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think Rose is like a little bit dopey, right? Um, yeah. Um, and also like the line about oh because you're saying oh um going out with somebody and you're oh this person makes me feel young he's all this and then obviously i think dorothy is like oh we're talking about single men under 80 are you know cocaine smugglers in miami <laughs> yeah yeah I yeah this was obviously the time of like scarface and when i think castro just basically was like yeah if you guys want to sod off to america then there you go and i think they all 
the Cubans all like went to uh, Miami. So this is where you learn also that Blanche has just got proposed to and Harry wants an answer tonight and they've only known each other for two weeks. Um, and they all live in Blanche's house. So Blanche has a big house and she's like put as an advert for these people to, to move in and, and then you had uh, Rose and Dorothy move in. So Rose and Dorothy worked out that if they get married, then they get kicked out. So they, they're kind of not for the wedding anyway, um, even though it's only been a couple of weeks. So Harry, knock, they think it's Harry that knocks on the door and it's Dorothy's mum and she needs $67 for a cab uh, because the, guy, the, 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 um, the, the taxi driver's Cuban and he says like there's a, a second language tax on the journey or something like that. And, it, and it, they only live like five minutes up the road. So um, then Harry comes in and she says to Dorothy's mum, oh, you know, trying to sweet talk her and this like that. And then she's like... Hey, she says, um, sorry, he says to her, uh, oh, you must be Blanche's sister. And then she just looks up at him and she goes, you must be blind. <laughs> <laughs> I did like it. <laughs> yeah, so um, well, I did like that. And uh, Dorothy and Rose are scared about getting kicked out. Blanche comes back and she's going to marry him next week. Blanche says the girls, they can stay until they find a place and then they kind of have to go. Rose is suspicious of Harry. Oh, so this is kind of like just before the wedding. Rose is suspicious of Harry um, 12 minutes before the wedding. And Rose is desperate to tell her, but Dorothy doesn't want her to. And she keeps kind of like shutting her in a cupboard and kind of silencing her. Then this policeman knocks on the door um, and turns out Harry's been arrested. And he's been, he's wanted in six states. And I think he's for uh, bigamy and he's been married like six times or something. Or oh, he's still married six times. And then he, he wrote, uh, wrote to Blanche saying like, actually, you're different. I still kind of fancy you a bit and so she's sad but three weeks later um dorothy comes up to make sure oh so this is really i found this really funny so do you know the whole thing like you put a mirror or a piece of glass underneath someone's normally babies you put a piece of like a mirror underneath their nose and it steams up if they're still breathing right and then um so dorothy just comes straight into the garden with with uh, sophia sleeping on the on the lounger and she puts like a magnifying glass under her nose and then she just goes to, um, I think it's uh, Rose's there. She goes, well, you never know. <laughs> um, and then uh, so the Blanche comes down and she's, you know, she's come to terms with it and she's happy with the girls. And then um, uh, Sophia wakes up and you go, oh, I thought you were asleep. And then she looks at it and she goes, well, you never can tell or something like that. You never know. So, yeah, that was the first episode. I thought it was a really nice intro episode. Uh, you got to know everyone really well. Everyone's characteristics were kind of present and correct for the first episode, which I really liked. It was an easy first episode to watch because sometimes it's really difficult to get to know the characters within such a short space of time. But I think... They introduced everyone really well here. Um, certainly, like I liked it and thought it was yeah. really, really good. Cool. So, series two, episode four. Girls are trying to get people to sign a petition to save a tree, and Mrs. Claxton is the lady that the, the property is on, but they want to basically build... I think they want to build a road through this, so the tree has to go. It's a 200-year-old oak tree. Uh, but Mrs. Claxton is a miserable old bat, and she won't sign it, um, and it's on her property. So Mrs. Claxton comes to the courthouse, and... She's there. She tells um, Rose that she will sign the petition. She comes to the courthouse and she basically petitions for the tree to go. Mrs. Claxton says she doesn't care if the tree, you know, in the courthouse, she says she doesn't know if it, it care if it's kind of stays or goes sort of thing. But she kind of wants it gone. Um, Rose told Mrs. Claxton to drop dead, like you know, she's because she's kind of like saying, "I, I don't care if it kind of goes, whatever, get rid of it, blah blah blah," um, and then. Rose gets annoyed at her and she says, oh, why don't you just look kind of drop dead? And and basically she does. Um, she has a heart attack and dies on the spot. 
Um, so they're, they're, all the girls are talking and basically they all kind of feel a little bit guilty about the fact that because Mrs. Claxton had no friends, she had no, like no one kind of, n- no one knew her. So she hasn't, she's not going to have a funeral and she'll be in a kind of a, like an unmarked grave kind of thing. So they feel bad and they end up paying for her funeral. Oh, but in this is where you see like Blanche, Blanche's characters like kind of like, it's a bit of beef here. Cause she's like, when she was like 16, um, she faked her own death. And then she went to her own funeral and kind of surprised everyone there. Um, uh, girls going to pay for the funeral. Yep. So um, they go to the funeral and they, they, you know, they kind of, they book it, but there's a lot of banter here and I really enjoyed this sequence, but it's too much to write down. So this was a really nice episode. Um, then uh, at the funeral, Sophia's listening to sports. She goes, oh, that's terrible. Oh, that's really bad. And it turns out she's, what's, what's the American sport when they're talking about like the bottom of the ninth or something like that? Baseball. So baseball, yeah. So she's listening to baseball and then uh, she's, but she, you don't know this at first. She's going, oh, it's really sad. And oh, that's terrible. And then it turns out she's just listened to the, um, the baseball game. Um, and then this lady comes in and she goes, oh, I need to be here because... Um, she was like a philanthropist. She'd like give so much to charity and isn't that? And, and he's like, oh, and then she goes like, oh, uh, Mrs. Rubenstein, I can't think, I can't believe you're dead. And she's like, hang on, this is like, this is Mrs. Claxton. And they said, and then the funeral director guy comes in and goes, oh no, she's kind of down the down the hall. And then she goes, oh, it's Mrs. Claxton. And, and then she turns around and boots the coffin because she doesn't like her. Uh, and then it turns out the funeral home accidentally cremated Mrs. Claxton. And, and they said, you got to take this with you. They give her the ashes. And then Rose. She sprinkled the ashes on the tree so that she's um she's doing something. She spoke to the council and then I don't know what it's not the council in America. I can't remember what they call the council in America, but uh, basically now they won't cut the tree down. I think it's just the city, isn't it? They refer it to as the city. But yeah, um, so that's the end of uh, series two, episode four. Again, actually, a really, really, really good episode. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this one. Both of them actually, to be fair. The uh, the episode of the pilot was called the engagement. And uh, right, okay. And the next episode I watched was series four, episode eight, which was "Brother, can you spare that jacket?" So it starts with uh, Rose. She has a lottery ticket, and obviously, I think every week they just buy a lottery ticket and see what they do. They all like saying, you know, trying to do their lottery tickets or whatever, scratching. And it turns out that uh, Dorothy has a ticket with three palm trees, which is worth ten thousand dollars. And they're all like going, oh, my God, 10,000. We can do quite a lot with this. We can spend it or whatever. Blanche buys this aviator jacket. And everyone's saying, oh, my God, it looks so ridiculous. And she goes, oh, don't worry about it. I'm going to put it in safekeeping. Let's all go out to the cinema. And basically, there's a guy from the thrift shop that comes to collect, like, stuff that needs to be donated. And Sophia puts the jacket in the box with the lottery ticket. And they come back from the cinema and they're like, oh, where's the ticket? Where's the ticket? And they're like, oh, where's the jacket? And we're like, oh, we don't know. We don't know. And then they obviously die to Sophia. What have you done with it? And then Sophia goes, oh, I took it to the the thrift shop with the jacket. So they're going to the thrift shop and they're saying, oh, I'm sure the jacket has it. And the man's like, oh, I'm sure nobody has bought it. We've only just come back. There's this big, big black dude who has it. And Blanche is like, oh, well, let, let me handle this man. And she goes up to him and he's like, yes. She's like, ah. 
make sure the zip is 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 on or whatever <laughs> and apparently the the jacket is for michael jackson and obviously they don't know who he is they're like oh michael and then obviously rose is like you mean michael j fox <laughs> and he just had like the gold like the, the 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 black glove just out like that so you know it was the uh, michael jackson and then uh there's an auction after the concert and the jacket is for sale. They go to the auction. They say, you know what? All right, let's have a plan. We'll sort this out. You know, we'll, 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 we'll bid a thousand and then hopefully we'll still have 9,000 left. And so, but then a guy comes and he says, oh, 10,000. And he just gets, you know, outbidded. But he doesn't really care about the jacket. And he say, you know what? I'm going to donate this jacket to the homeless and I'm going to make the charitable donation of 10,000. And then the jacket goes to the shelter and they're obviously trying to go and get it. And then the reverend sees them and he goes, oh, I'm sorry, ladies, we haven't, you know, got enough beds for the night, but maybe we can uh, squeeze you guys in. And they're like, uh, yeah, yeah. And they're like, yeah, we'll do that. We'll, we'll sleep in the shelter for one night and then hopefully we'll be able to find the, the, the lotto ticket. So the reverend's like, you know, you guys come in. And this is this whole kind of sequence and whole scene was just this was just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And so they all have to like go sleeping on these beds and they all speak to like different people. So for example, Rose is speaking to someone who's also from Minnesota, but he fell on really hard times because he was um a busboy at a hotel. But because that hotel went out of business, he lost his job, he lost everything. So he's talking to Rose about all of that. Blanche is talking to someone who's an alcoholic, but he used, but I think he was a student, but I think again, he lost everything because of like alcohol and things of that nature. Sophia finds her friend, Ida Perkins, and he's just kind of going back and forth with all the girls listening to all these sad stories. And they're listening to like how they've all struggled and how they ended up in the shelter. And... When everyone goes to sleep, the girls wake up and they start to look for the jacket and they're, and they're just walking by and they're just seeing all these different kinds of people in the shelter and they're playing this really sad version of the Brother Can You Spare Me A Dime song. And Sophia is basically telling her friend, look, I know you may have fallen on some difficult times, but don't give up. There's still good people out there in this world. And eventually I think Blanche finds the lottery ticket and she's like, you know what? They just gave the ticket to the Reverend. They goes, oh, you know, I think you guys might need it more than us. So it's just a, a really good episode. Really, really well done. And the finale, I watched the finale, the hour long finale. But it wasn't hour long. It's about 40 minutes because of ads or whatever. And this one was called One Flew Out the Cuckoo's Nest. So uh, Blanche is saying, look, I need to go on a date. But my uncle's coming to town, but I need to find someone to keep company. And Sophia is, everyone's going, yeah, forget about it. We're not going to do it. And then obviously I think Sophia goes, maybe Dorothy should do it. And Dorothy's like, yeah, I'm not really interested. But I love Rose going, oh, you know, your uncle, he's lonely. He's sad and he's pathetic. So it might suit Dorothy. And Dorothy's like, oh, okay, fine. We'll go. And then she reluctantly agrees. And basically the, the date is not the date, but like the kind of meeting up is really awkward. I think they're going to this crab shack 
they're really awkward having like awkward conversations they have to wear like a crab bib and Dorothy's like yeah this is like one of the most embarrassing moments of my life oh just get get me out of here sort of thing and they both realize that Blanche set them up because I think Dorothy's like look I'm gonna be straight with you you seem like a nice bloke but the only reason I'm here is because you know Blanche said that you were lonely and prophetic and you just wanted some company and Lucas was like hang on Blanche said that you're lonely and you're pathetic and she was like oh we need to get our own back on Blanche and so they're suggesting that uh yeah and Lucas goes maybe we should tell her that we're gonna get married and so Dorothy comes back and she's telling Blanche oh I had the best time ever we might see each other again and then Lucas comes down and he's basically flirting with Dorothy he goes down on one knee and he goes and then obviously Rose is like oh what do you think he's gonna do obviously he's gonna (laughs) what do you think he's gonna do and obviously yeah they're being all like pretending to like each other they're like oh Eskimo kisses and like you know rubbing the noses and 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 obviously Blanche is like well well I say I can't believe this is happening and 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 you know being all southern bell about it obviously uh Sophia is like hey this is my daughter here I need to ask you some questions and uh she, and I love this this is probably my favorite line in the whole show she goes oh is your mother alive and Lucas was like uh no and she just cuddles up to him and goes well, she is now. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and then Blanche is like fainting. Just that whole sequence was just absolutely brilliant. You know, they're just talking about um, Dorothy and Lucas. They're thinking, oh, what do you think? I don't know about this one. Maybe they're moving too, maybe they're moving too fast. And yeah, Lucas and Dorothy are coming back from meeting up again. And you can start to see that they're both are starting to like each other for real and so rose is thinking you know what if if they get married she's like i don't want it to be alone so rose is thinking you know what? i'm gonna call my daughter kirsten and i'm gonna live with her because i think prior into the prior episode i think rose had a heart attack and i think her daughters were saying look you should come and live with me and i think that's kind of leading on from that and Dorothy's obviously thinking, look, I think we've taken it too far. And then Lucas is saying, look, we should break up, but uh, we should do it in front of Blanche. And But he says, you know what? Look, I've had so much fun with you. And this has been like, you know, it might have been a, a, a fake thing, but like what I'm feeling is real. And obviously they're talking about it. And then Lucas was like, he proposes to Dorothy for real. He's like, look, this is it. Like, I'm, you know, I'm putting it all on the line. Uh, let's get married. Do you, will you marry me? And Dorothy's like, yes. And uh, I think Sophia's like, haven't I seen this before? And then it goes to uh, two months later and uh, everyone's all getting excited. And Sophia is uh, set to move to uh, Atlanta. And Dorothy's talking about how much she's learned from the other girls. But obviously, she's trying to think of what Rose has taught her. She goes, oh, what has Rose taught me? And Lucas is like, oh, if you, if you can't think of it, you know, don't worry about it. It's all good. But she's like, no, 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 no. Rose definitely taught me something. That's it. She taught me how to tie a square knot. And Rose and, and, and Blanche are basically talking. And they're saying, you know, oh, my God. 
you know, we're not happy, you know, Dorothy is not going to, you know, I hope she says goodbye to us. And Blanche is saying, look to Rose, please don't live with your uh, daughter. I'm going to be lonely. Like, please come and live with me. Like, you know, stay with me. Don't, don't leave me. But I think Rose is like, look, I don't, you know, I want to, I want you to live your life. I want you to move on. But obviously because you are my life. And, uh, and obviously Rose is, um, trying to get Sophia advice on how to be the matriarch once she moves in with her daughter, Kirsten, because obviously the dynamic of that is going to be Rose is going to be the Sophia of that family. And uh, Rose ends up uh, being worried about the spare wheel. But uh, Blanche is like, look, stay with me. We can still be friends. This is your family. And Sophia was like walking around with a camera, just taking pictures everywhere. And they have a, the three of them have a moment together. And Sophia's kind of looking at the picture, looking all sad, going, you know, goodbye, my girls. I'm going to miss you guys so much. Because obviously she was like the matriarch of that family. And, and that whole thing was coming to an end. It's a day of the wedding. And Dorothy's, you know, going in style in the limousine. But in the limousine, it turns out to be her ex-husband, Stanley. Ooh. <laughs> and obviously, Dorothy's like, what the hell are you playing at? I'm about to get married in a minute. Like, let me out. And obviously, he goes, look, I just wanted to talk to you beforehand. And he's like, look, I'm sorry I've not been a good husband. Things have kind of, like, got really bad between us. But he's like, look, I just wanted to give you, like, my blessing it's okay with me. I know I haven't treated you well, but I will always love you. It's actually quite a nice moment. And Dorothy's like, you know what? Look, I appreciate you. And obviously he's balding. He's like, look, I've got this tiny little hair. And this tiny little hair reminds me of you. And then and then Dorothy pulls out the last hair. She's like, look, just get me to the wedding. And then he drives her there. And you can hear all the thoughts of the girls as they walk down the aisle. And then... And it's like before, you know, you read the vow, she's just basically going, I do. And then she's like, oh, we haven't reached that part yet. And uh, then he's like, and then obviously Lucas is like, oh, good stuff. I I do too. And obviously they do the whole vows. And then uh, Sophia is talking to Dorothy. And she's like, you know what? I think I'm going to stay in Miami with uh, Blanche and Rose. And she's like, look, I got in the way of your first marriage. I don't want to do that again. And she's like, look, you should be with uh, Lucas and kind of, you know, live live that life. And Sophia is about to give Dorothy the most amazing gift. I think it was like a diamond or pearl necklace. <laughs> and Dorothy's like, you know what? You've given me an amazing gift by giving me self-confidence. That's the greatest gift. And then Sophia's like, okay, then she puts the necklace away. So I was going to give you this, but, you know, okay. <laughs> Fair <right>. enough. <laughs> Self-confidence. And Dorothy's having a last moment with the girls, saying, I'm going to miss you. I love you. You know, this is, you know, it's been the best years of my life. I never thought I could find this friendship this late on in my life. Gives them a hug, closes the door, a little pause. She comes running back in, gives them another hug, closes the door. They're all just waiting for the door. And then she comes around from the back, gives them another hug. And she's like, look, I've really, really, really got to go now. I love you guys. This has been the best. 
she leaves and they're basically all standing at the door. Oh, it's so sad. And but she doesn't come back this time. She definitely goes away for good. And that was the end of Golden Girls. And like I said, yeah, there was uh, the spin-off show, The Golden Palace, with the other three in Miami. And uh, yeah, that was the uh, the Golden Girls. This was a great show, man. Really, it was. I think all the characters were um, were very likable. Each had their own individual uh, sort of personality to bring to the uh, to the show. Um, I'm, yeah, it's one of those shows that I can be like, I can actually proudly say, yeah, I've seen that now. Do you know what I mean? It's one of those things that you kind of know of and you've heard of. Everyone kind of knows the kind of the picture of it, I guess. But yeah, I think it's just one of those shows that's like, you know, a really good part of uh, yesterday's capers where we get to watch all these cool shows. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's one of those where a really, really good show really, really holds up. And that's exactly what Golden absolutely, Girl was. Yeah. Thoroughly enjoyed watching it. It was very like, in, like I said, it's such an endearing show. The concept is just brilliant of how you can, you know, meet these friends in later years in life and just have the best times of your life when you don't think you could after losing your husband or your wife or things of that nature, things of those happen and you're having the best times of your life. And it's, it's yeah, the whole idea of it was, was great. Obviously the format was used all around the world because it's such a, an iconic format gold like a golden girls is like it's got like a newfound fan so like younger people or people who weren't around in the 80s so like millennials and are, are really getting into it now and really really enjoying the show and yeah this was just great and obviously as time makes fools of us all only only one of the golden girls is alive and that's betty white rose the other three have uh, sadly passed away throughout the years. So uh, that's one of the tough things about watching shows that are quite old, isn't it? Yeah, because quite some of them are not. Yeah, some of them are not. Some of them are not with us. So there, 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 there is that. So uh, yeah, that was a a really really great show, and uh, yeah, so, 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 salute to the Golden Girls. right now so we're talking about girls on top now so this show first came out in october 1985 and some of the things happening in the world the first nintendo home video game console in the united states is released as the nintendo entertainment system ronald reagan bans import of south african krugerrands to the usa New York Jets retire Joe Namath's number 12 jersey on national TV on Monday Night Football. Commando was in the cinemas. And Saving All My Love For You by Whitney Houston was number one in the charts. Girls on Top. So this was a uh, British ITV sitcom made by Witzend for the ITV contractor Central Independent Television. It stars Dawn French, Jennifer Saunders, Ruby Wax, and uh, Tracy Ullman. For those playing at home, if you remember the Tracy Ullman show, it gave birth to... And then you can say the answer at home, because I know producer Paul doesn't know the answer, even though you should know the answer. The Tracy Ullman show gave birth to The Simpsons. 
Yeah, really? Yeah, it used to be um, it used to be like a a, a cartoon short on the uh, the Tracy Ullman show. Oh, and they were part of that, right? Yeah, and then it kind of blew up on its own, and then it became its own sort of cartoon. And uh, despite a poor critical reception, the series was a rating success, and it focuses on four flatmates and their landlady. It was a female version of The Young Ones, and French and Saunders had appeared in it, and like most of its stars, were members of the comic strip group. The theme tune was written and performed by Glenn Tilbrook and Chris Difford from the British band Squeeze, which with the cast singing the theme for the first series and Tilbrook singing for the second. Each episode centered on the fact that Shelley could order the others around because they relied on her to get the rent paid. Usually the show incorporated Candice's latest invented fatal illness or any other reason to not pay the rent. One episode had Candice convincing everyone she was dating Prince Andrew. Tracy Ullman did leave the show after the initial series due to her first pregnancy. So yeah, Amanda Ripley was Dawn French. She was a radical feminist who is straight-laced, anti-male and very liberal journalist and the central character around whom the series is based. And like Shelley, she takes her efforts too far when she has something to prove. Jennifer Marsh who is played by Jennifer Saunders. She's a mousy and childlike woman who Saunders portrays as having mild learning difficulties. She was Amanda's childhood friend who serves as the whipping post for everyone else. Shelley DuPont, who was Ruby Wax, and she's a struggling actress and the British stereotype of a gaudily dressed, rude, loudmouth American. The other women only tolerate her and let her live with them due to her hefty trust fund and her agreement to pay the majority of the rent in return. Candice Valentine or Tracy Ullman. She's a promiscuous, lazy, manipulative gold digger. And she was written off in a second series with Candice leaving a voicemail declaring that she has moved to Oman and she's engaged to a prince. Lady Chloe Carlton, played by Joan Greenwood, is an eccentric elderly romance novelist and the landlady of the women's flat. Girls on top. Uh, I had no idea. I didn't even know this was a thing until when I turned it on and, and Dawn French and Jennifer Saunders were on there. I was like, okay. Tracy Ullman's obviously got a pretty good thing on a uh, repertoire now. But I mean, I, I was just talking about like Dawn French and Jennifer Saunders are like a comedy duo, like extravaganza, amazing French and Saunders. Yeah, exactly. And they've been working together, I think, for like because they did the comic strip before that, right? Um, or they were working on it at least. Um, anyway, I didn't know. I didn't know this show was a thing. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I'm always a fan of this kind of comedy. It's a bit kind of a bit more dry and a bit more kind of British, I guess. Um, so I always have I always have a kind of soft spot for this sort of thing. But um, uh, I, yeah, I, I didn't click with the. Uh, with the young ones uh analogy as in like i didn't under, i didn't didn't even think about the it being a female version of it but i thought it was quite a very basic but very it was all right show yeah i mean i wasn't i wasn't crazy about this show i can kind of understand why it didn't get like great reception from critics it did seem it did seem quite basic but 
when you consider how I think stacked sitcoms were back in the eighties. But uh, obviously, people liked it. It was it was maybe quite relatable in the sense that you know you got these uh, girls who you know wing it by getting a flat in Chelsea, and they're trying to make ends meet, and they're you know trying all these different schemes and plots and. and... 200, 250 quid a month rent as well. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> if only, eh? If only. I think it was two hundred, and it was literally like Shelley was like paying one hundred and fifty of it, and, and then they just uh, paid a fifty between them. Yeah, there were a couple of things about this show that I didn't like, but I guess we can talk about that when we talk about episodes. So I watched episode one and then episode seven of series one. So, uh, so first episode, uh, Amanda's looking for a flat. Uh, she manages to get one in Chelsea. Um, this is kind of have a bit of a jostle with this um, loud American woman called Shirley. So, Shirley, so, sh- Shirley, I've written Shirley the whole note. So, excuse the. Are you sure? Shirley, Shirley Dupont. Okay, well, I've written Shirley all my notes. So, um, anyway, so posh woman owns it, and she's an author, um, and she's chucking out this lady in favour of Amanda, who turns out to be Candice. Um, Amanda doesn't have any money, and she needs someone to move in with her. So she's kind of having a ring jennifer comes to the door uh, a woman is being chucked out and wants to stay uh that's candice uh jennifer is jennifer saunders that's what i've written down there um amanda got thrown out by robin and he's got another woman because uh jennifer went to see him uh amanda it was is working on a magazine uh jennifer loves books of the landlady uh this greek man comes in who's Gand- candice's fella who lived there before uh, he steals something from her purse, her wallet, and her keys. And Jennifer saw him because she got told to hide when he comes in. Candice comes back. She's been out. Uh, Jennifer goes to the flat agency to get... So basically, they realize here that they, they need to um, they need to leave the flat, right? Because they haven't got any money. Um, no one's going to move in kind of thing. Jennifer goes back to the flat agency to get the deposit back. Um, and the American woman is still there chatting. Um Jennifer is meant to say Amanda's mum has a hemorrhage, but she says hemorrhoids instead. Amanda goes to see the landlady about the rent, and the landlady pushed the last tenant who didn't pay the rent down the stairs. Uh, so Shelley, not Shirley, uh, the American lady is now living with them because she's rich and she can pay the rent. Uh, but she's very bossy. She wants the master bedroom and stuff like that. Everyone else has to just kind of uh, deal with it. And then she says, oh, we have baths here, not showers. And then Shelley says, she doesn't want to have a bath because it's like swimming in your own filth. And I really don't like that that people saying that about baths because who gets out of a bath and they're dirtier than they walked in? No one. Um, uh, so Shelley has a master bedroom. Amanda is in the dormitory. Um, Candice comes back because she kind of wants to live with them. Amanda and Shelley are kind of butting heads and Shelley doesn't like the dandelion and burdock. And I'm not sure if you've ever tried dandelion and burdock, but uh, I think it's lovely. Um, and then <laughs> Candy says, um, oh, you can take my car. And then she, um, it was uh, her uh, fella gave it to her after nicking it off uh, Amanda. Um, I know those notes were a bit not great, but they, um, that was the first episode. I watched episode six. This one was called Skanking. And so Amanda is not, necessarily happy about the council organizing a street festival so she's calling the council to see who's organizing basically trying to get the uh, the the gossip on it the other girls are basically making a mess and amanda is basically ranting oh my god i hate this so much your typical middle class white women and 
I'm going to go out there and I'm going to go find some disadvantaged youths and I'm going to help them. And I'm going to help the first people that I see. And she's basically going out and she spots these uh, two black guys. She's going, excuse me, excuse me. And they're obviously like, huh? huh? And they're basically running away from her. And she's chasing after them going, come back here. I want to help you, disadvantaged black youths. And the other girls, meanwhile, at the home are um, mocking Amanda and they're saying, oh, well, they're all basically just mocking her. And Jennifer's doing an impression of Amanda. Oh, this is the rota. Clean up. And they're just making a big old mess and just basically taking a mick. Amanda's calling Yvonne. She goes, oh, look, well, I've gone and found an ethnically radical band. And they are from Mother Africa, and they're a, a reggae band, and they're really, really exotic. I've really come to hate that word now. Exotic? Yeah. I hate it. That's what people describe me as. Exotic? Oh, you are. Oh, that is a rather exotic name. I mean, obviously, exotic might not be the worst thing in the world someone's going to call me. Yeah. But, um... Um, yeah, there's definitely worse things, but I think it's just probably what, like, I don't know. Oh, yes, it's an exotic fellow. But no, yeah, she goes, oh, yes, they are very exotic. And Amanda's basically telling the girls, well, I have found two disadvantaged black youths and I'm going to help them. And then Shelly like, oh, well, why don't you get them to come and clean the house? And then Candice is like, well, I'm not going to live with a racist because I've been out with international men. And I am not going to have this. And Lady Carlton is basically here for the rent, but they don't have it because Amanda has spent rent money on instruments. They, uh, the boys come back to the house and uh, Amanda's like, oh, well, boys, do you guys want to smoke some uh, Mary Joanna? And she's got like the Rastafarian hat. And obviously we see in the end that she braids her hair. She's going, yeah, we're just going to, live it out you know we're, we're rastafarian this is what we believe and and all this stuff you know we don't love babylon and yeah they basically like oh we um they're called dennis and mikey as we find out and they're obviously getting to know jennifer and candice and everyone's basically making fun of amanda when she walks in with her braided hair and dennis and mikey are like yeah we're not really um a reggae band she's like what she goes we're not we're not we're not a band we don't play music and so they end up leaving with candy she goes oh i know a really good place we can go and then they end up going out and then amanda's basically trying to create an act to and try and win and so she's basically wearing african clothing it's the street festival and amanda's talking to yvonne it turns out that dennis and mikey are break dancers and they end up winning the big check. And obviously Yvonne is happy that Amanda has found them. So yeah, that was that episode. Yeah, that this to be honest, this episode kind of put me off of the show. Which might be, uh, which might be a spoiler alert. But no, yeah, that was that. And then you can talk about the series one finale. Yeah, so uh, Candice and Shirley are asking for money. So sorry, so Candice, I'm going to call her Shirley, all right, because all my notes are in Shirley, and everyone knows that when I say Shirley, I mean Shirley. So um, 
The, uh, Candice is asking her for money because she's kind of doing her beauty stuff on her. She's kind of waxing her. She's asking her for money in advance of the next time she's going to need it. Amanda's like kind of telling Jennifer how to clean, which I kind of liked, like how to clean the corners um, of a window and stuff. And then Jennifer has to go down the shop to get some more polish and she has to take the landlady's dog for a walk. And her dog, as you learn in the, I think the first episode, that she, her dog is dead and it's stuffed. And it's just, she, it says no dogs allowed on the on the door so it's um when, when she comes back out the shop the dog's gone uh when she goes back she tells the girls that the dog's gone and so the episode is kind of like now about you know kind of the dog and the shenanigans amanda says when when she comes back she's basically saying oh i couldn't find a dog and then i think someone pecked his eyes out and then someone set it on fire and then um landlady lady carlton faints um and she says you lost the only thing i loved and then leaves so they have to they have an idea where they're trying to like uh tell the woman that it's okay that the dog's gone or whatever. So what they do is they bake loads of drugs in a cake and give it to her. And then they f- they put this fake dog on a string and dangle it down by her window and say it's the dog from heaven. That is okay on, and, and this and that and the other. And then she's t- the landlady comes upstairs and she tells them about seeing the dog. Next day she's got a hangover. Candice lowers him down and says, oh, can I have... The dog says... Uh, there's this thing in heaven and I need to have 40 pounds. Can you put 40 pounds in this envelope so I can take it up to heaven? <laughs> Which I thought was quite funny. And um, then she goes with Shirley to buy another dog for the landlady. And then when they go back to the, the flat, they find that Josephine is wearing this like fur on her. Josephine. Josephine's the dog's name. Um, Candice is wearing this fur and it turns out to be the, the dog Josephine that they've been looking for the whole time. She's just got it as a fur coat. Uh, yeah, that's the end of that episode. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't watch any more because I was quite put off by that episode. But, uh, yeah, any last thoughts on this show? It had some funny moments in it, for sure. Very, kind of very basic and, I guess, similar to some of the comedies at that time. Yeah, I guess I guess it was it was fine in the end. I think this is one of their uh, first breaks. And, obviously, this isn't obviously the last we hear of uh, French and Saunders or even Tracy Ullman or even, um, what's her name, Ruby Wax. She was everywhere once upon a time, and so yeah, this isn't the last. I think this was kind of like a, a stepping stone. So uh, no, yeah, this 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 show was 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 fine in the end. So uh, there you go. Finally, now we uh, go on to Birds of a Feather. So this show first came out in October nineteen eighty nine, and some of the things happening in the world. The Grand National Assembly of Turkey elects Prime Minister Turgut Özal as the 8th President of Turkey. The Hungarian Republic is officially declared by President Matthias Zuros, replacing the Hungarian People's Republic exactly 33 years after the Hungarian Revolution of 1956. The government of East Germany closes the border with Czechoslovakia to prevent further immigration to the West. Look Who's Talking is in the cinemas. Great movie. And uh, All Around the World by Lisa Stansfield was in the charts. Birds of a Feather, or commonly abbreviated to BOF, was a British sitcom. And it's all about Tracy Stubbs, Linda Robson, and Sharon Theodopolopoulos. It's got it right in one. Who is Pauline Quirk? And they're brought together when their husbands are sent to prison for armed robbery. And Sharon lives in an Edmonton council flat, moves to Tracy's upmarket house in Chigwell. And 
they have a next door neighbor and later becomes their friend dorian green is a middle-aged married jewish woman who's constantly having affairs with younger men and in the last two bbc series the location is changed to nearby hainon essex hainault before returning to chigwell in series 10. A theme tune was Irving Berlin's What'll I Do? And initially the version recorded by actor William Atherton for the 1974 film The Great Gatsby was used. And from the third series onwards, it's sung by Quirk and Robson. And the series' original run ended on Christmas Eve in 1998 after nine years, but returned just over 15 years later in 2014 this time on ITV rather than the BBC's main channel for its 10th series. And, you know, the opening episode of the new series attracted almost 8 million viewers, giving ITV its highest rated comedy series since Barbara in 2000. And in the following four years, a further two series were broadcast, following by two Christmas specials. And there was a further Christmas special in 2020. The title comes from the idiom birds of a feather flock together meaning that people having similar characters backgrounds interests and beliefs will congregate sharon has always felt inadequate to her slimmer elder sister tracy and felt she had the tougher childhood her marriage to chris a waster of a greek cypriot descent was miserable and childless supposedly due to sharon's infertility Chris's family condemn her for this, but Sharon discovers that Chris is actually the infertile one. And unlike Sharon, who is more realistic about her husbands, Tracy deludes herself into believing her husband is innocent. When Daryl is released in Series 7, she trusts him when he asks for a check on the company account, which led to Daryl defrauding her out of her business assets. He and Tracy have a son, Garth. And he becomes a chef after going to boarding school and eventually marries Kimberly. And that marriage does not last. And in series 10, Garth moved to Australia to start a relationship with a girl named Marcy. Tracy is the more honest and law abiding of the two sisters, whereas Sharon is more willing to indulge in unscrupulous and often criminal activities, such as illegally subletting her council flat when she was living with Tracy, taking drugs, selling stolen merchandise, fiddling her VAT and claiming unemployment benefit while she was actually employed. The sister's neighbour is the wealthy, snobbish, man-eating Dorian Green, a middle-aged woman who strives to create the impression that she is a glamorous beauty, dressing in a provocative style, preferring miniskirts, high heels and leopard print. She's played by Leslie Joseph and... Dorian is married to Marcus, but is frequently involved with other men with hilarious consequences. Dorian and Marcus are Jewish. Her marriage is also childless due to her vanity and the lack of affection between her and Marcus. She's a regular, if uninvited, guest at Tracy's house and mocks Sharon about her weight, while Sharon teases Dorian about her lifestyle and age. However, Sharon and Tracy become the best friends Dorian has ever had, and the mutual teasing is friendly and playful and it is often shown that Sharon and Tracy care for Dorian and vice versa. If any of them get into trouble or have a problem, the others are often the first to help. Yeah, so in terms of like the uh, the new series, Pauline Quirk had appeared on ITV's uh, 
this morning and confirmed that a script for a new series was on the desk at the BBC. And they were just waiting for a decision on whether or not the BBC would commission a new series. The BBC offered to broadcast a one-off special episode, but this was refused by the producers of the show in favour of ITV's offer of a series. 15 years after the original series ended, the original cast returned, this time on ITV. The first episode had mainly positive reviews, with fans saying the show has stayed true to itself. Quirk said that the cast returned with the intention of doing only one series, she would not rule out doing further episodes if the script were right, and the fans and viewers wanted more of the series. Pauline Quirk won Best TV Comedy Newcomer at the British Comedy Awards in 1990. Birds of Feather won the TV Quick Awards for Best Sitcom and TV Choice Awards for Best Comedy in 2016. Birds of a Feather, what'll I do? My mum used to love this show, uh, so therefore I had to watch it as a child. Um, so I was definitely aware of this show. One thing I always thought about this show, it was so relatable. Like The, the women on the show were like women that my mum knew. So I always kind of thought that I knew the women on there, if you see what I mean. I still feel like I know Pauline Quirk now, um, and I've never met her in my life. But yeah, I think this this show... I thought this show was really good. Um, even revisiting it as an adult, after watch, as having watched it as a child, was good. I'd never got round to watching the the brand new series though. But yeah, I thought this was. Um, I thought it was a really, 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 really nice show. Actually, um, yeah, I, th- I think it was just. I think it was done in such a way that it was relatable, um, and therefore, you know, like people did kind of resonate with it. I guess. No, they, 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 they most certainly did, and. Uh... I always got the impression that this show used to come on just before CBBC. So it used to come on at like 2.30, 2.45 in the afternoon. This was definitely a, a daytime show from what I remember. I think I remember, I think my mum or my auntie would have it on. Yes, yeah. And before all the cartoons in CBBC or even CITV would come on, it would always be Birds of a Feather first and then... I think this was kind of like a good um, right, watch Birds of a Feather, then pick up the kids from school. and I Because I remember Home and Away was on before the cartoons. I believe on ITV before it's on Channel 5. Because my mum used to watch that as well. Was Home, and Away, was Home and Away not on BBC as well, like Neighbours? No, I think, I'm sure ITV had Home and Away. Yeah, because I remember the little thing in the corner. The little stripey thing before it goes to a break. Okay, okay, okay. No, yeah, um, I think that's when it used to come on. I think everything you said was spot on about it being very relatable. Obviously, you know, they're living in Chigwell, which is not a million miles away from where we both live, actually. I know it's even closer, though. Uh, maybe, maybe. Uh, maybe. Maybe it's only because it's I on the train. Chigwell might be quicker because I'm just Chigwell. I could just think of like Chigwell being a 10 minute drive for me, which I'm guessing Hainaut is too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably easy to get to, I guess. No, it's very relatable. I liked Sharon a lot. Very, very relatable. Very Cockney. So it's just like, you know, they're speaking my language. Yeah. I mean, I just like how it's kind of these no, like she, because she comes from like a council, block of council flats, right? And you have to be a, you know, a bit of a tough old bird to be, um, you know, to be kind of surviving in there. So I quite like how she holds herself and how she deals with herself. I think that's, I think that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. So this this was a, a really, really, really good show that held up well. I did watch one episode of the uh, 
of the revived series starring um who's your man from busted he's in it bloke from busted is in it matt, I think matt his name is. someone uh charlie someone else and oh god who's the other guy I don't know, man. I don't know the names of Busted. I know, I, 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 obviously, I know Busted. Charlie was the eyebrows. Matt was a guy with black hair, and then there was another guy, but I've forgotten him. Oh, we, look, we we ain't forgot you, man. I don't say we forgot. We ain't forgot you. Obviously, shout out Busted. I like Busted. I was one of the I, I was one of the only people in my year that actually admitted to liking their music rather than just humming it under your voice and pretending you don't like them because it's not cool to like busted. Year three thousand. Yes, year three thousand. It's uh, yeah. I, I I like that song. That's my song. I like that song. That's my song. <laughs> But no, yeah, just 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 because we're old and we can't remember your names, don't mean we don't appreciate y'all. Charlie Simpson, Matt Willis, and Tom Fletcher. They were the one. They were the front men. What? Who was married to who? Uh, Matt. He's married to Emma Wilkes, isn't he? Who is Emma He's... Willis' husband? Matt Willis. There you go. Right. Let's talk about episodes. Starts off Sharon struggling upstairs in some council council estate flats. And she goes home and her husband's this kind of like no good layabout guy who's also nicked like 30 quid out of her purse or something like that. Uh, meanwhile, Tracy's in the pool house with nice cars, nice things and everything like that. So Sharon's going to her house with Chris, who's they're in a stolen Zephyr. And uh, not stolen, it's uninsured, sorry. I say stolen Zephyr because that's a line off only falls and horses. Um, uh, so she turns up with Chris. No, it's not. Is it? Yeah, Chris. Chris and Daryl basically are going out somewhere together to do some some work. Dorian Green knocks on the door and she comes in. And then she said um, she hired some. Um, she's hired someone. And then she said, "I told him um, we should hire a German, but he said uh, we should live and let live or something like that." It's basically the joke that basically we haven't gotten over the war joke yet. Um, don't mention a war. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I think that's. That always comes back in in history, uh, so, uh, comedy history. I think um, I'm not sure <laughs> who's not getting over it. I saw I saw them. So um, Dorian um, wants Tracy to hold a party to buy like this kind of Anne Summers party is basically what it is. Um, I don't think they explicitly say Anne Summers party, but that's I know a, a thing where they basically bring like lingerie and other bits and pieces to sell to ladies in a, in a, in a kind of party environment, but it's all ladies and a kind of like privacy of their own home. So Chris and Daryl swap cars and they get into a Merc and they drive off. Tracy gets a write up about this and she wants to kick Dorian out, but then she, Dorian apologizes. They end up letting her in. And then the police, so Daryl and Chris are now back in the Zephyr. And before, when they're on the way, they kind of like done a, they caused an accident, but they just drove off. Um, and the police spot the car and they um, kind of spin around and and uh, pull it over. So meanwhile, back at the house, a knock on the door. This is kind of later in the day. A knock on the door comes in and these police officers come in and they say that both your husbands have been um, have been nicked and their episode's called Nicked, So, which is why we're nicked and not arrested. Um, Tracy is upset about it. Sharon wants to talk to the... Talk to... Sharon talks to woman... Oh, so Sharon talks to um lady, uh, this lady, and you, this is where you realise that she can't have babies. But as you pointed out in the intro, that it's not her; it's her husband. Um, so they've been they've been um 
basically done for armed robbery and they got caught with a shotgun still in their car. Daryl and uh, Chris are both found guilty and they get 12 years in prison because, tw- um, oh, because the, uh, the, uh, this, this quite funny part in the, um, in the trial because the, um, the, the judge can't say his name. So he keeps saying like, oh, the aforementioned gentleman and the accomplice of um, Daryl. Uh, so they, they, he kind of uses every other way to say um, his last name. So, um, and in the end, uh, Sharon decides to move in with Tracy so they can keep each other company whilst their husbands are doing a bit of porridge, which I'm sure a show we'll get to later on. Yep. So that episode was called Nicked because uh, Chris and Daryl have been found guilty and they've got to do a 12-year stretch in prison. I love how he's like, oh, wait for me, Tracy. And she's like, mouthing, yeah, I will. Wait for me, Sharon. Oh, fat chance of that. <laughs> oh. And I went all the way to uh, Series 5, Episode 4, Absent Friends. And so Tracy's son, he's uh, in a rush to leave the house. And uh, Tracy's basically telling Sharon about there's been a robbery at number 16. And Dorian, she's with her new fancy man, Reg, and he's a security consultant. And he's saying, look, you know, if there's anything y'all need, you know, you can come to me. I can help you. And Daryl is trying to call Tracy from prison, but she's not picking up. But she's got to take Sharon to work at the cafe. And the neighbors apparently think Tracy and Sharon might be behind the robberies because they're obviously a bit common. And Sharon is basically giving advice to Garth about women because uh, apparently he's uh, flirting with um, a teacher at college. And Tracy's getting this letter. And she's basically, I think it's basically about the neighbors and they, and they're basically like, you know, sending subtle hints about them. And Tracy's going, you know, what? I'm just going to call the police. I've had enough of these stupid neighbors. And Doreen is basically coming around and she's saying, oh, I think there's a, a neighborhood watch meeting. And they're like, what neighborhood watch meeting? And then obviously she's like, uh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. If, if anything comes up, I'll, I'll defend you. I'll defend you. And so they're having the big neighborhood meeting and they're all saying, oh, those common lot are the criminals. And they're blaming uh, Doreen for being friends. Obviously, Doreen's like to uh, Tracy and Sharon, oh, don't worry. I will stick up for you. I will be your friend. And to be fair, she was doing it a little bit. And Tracy and Sharon are like, you know what? Let's let's go crash the meeting. Let's go uh, see what's up. And Daryl calls again. And... Garth picks up and then obviously Garth is like, oh, they're at um, Dorian's for some meeting. And he gives Dorian the the, the number. And then Sharon and Tracy are getting caught eavesdropping. So they're running away. And Daryl is ringing Dorian. And so one of the neighbors goes, oh, don't worry, I'll pick it up. And then obviously he's like, oh, who's this? And obviously Daryl is like, you know, I'm calling from prison. Where's Tracy? And obviously he's like, what? And obviously Doreen's like feeling embarrassed because he ends up calling her house. And she's like to Sharon and Tracy, my reputation's in the bin. How could you? How could you let them call my house and, and, and all of that? And 
Daryl is still trying to call, but there's no such luck. Uh, Tracy's basically telling Garth about the teacher that he's seeing, because obviously she's married as well. And he's like, look, you need to stop seeing her. And Tracy goes to see Daryl in prison. And obviously she's like, look, I, I've it's been a big miscommunication. Because I think Chris is winding Daryl up as well, talking about how, oh, you know, he's not picking up the phone. Maybe Garth is going to be the man in the house now. It's like, you know, David Attenborough and the, the, the Serengeti when the bulls are fighting each other. And obviously he's like, shut up, man. Get, get out of here. And Chris tells Sharon, who's been robbing the houses, and basically Sharon is like, look, I want, you know, someone to pretend to rob our house so the neighbours won't suspect them anymore. And Doreen is with Reg, and he sees blue lights, and so basically he's running to the house going, is everyone okay, everyone's okay? And yeah, then, then because obviously they stage a fake robbery, nothing goes missing, and then obviously Sharon and Tracy are like, oh, well, that leaves your house, Doreen. Your house hasn't been robbed, and obviously she's like, oh, me? Obviously it's not me. Like, why are you blaming me for? And then obviously I think in the end, Reg... He apparently knows Daryl, and he goes, oh, Harris says chin up, and gives a wink. So obviously he knows that whole CD um, life. And before your finale, I watched uh, an episode called Nuptials. And basically it's uh, Gareth, it's Garth, and Kimberly's wedding. But Kimberly, she comes from a rich, posh family, and they don't really like Sharon and Tracy. Doreen is not happy because she's split up with her longtime partner. And, you know, she's at the stag do and Sharon gets really, really drunk. And, you know, they have to go to the hospital. because She's like, absolutely. They're all plastered. It's the next day. Tracy's uh, getting Sharon to sort out the wedding, but she's like, really, really hungover. But she, and she wakes up really early. And obviously she's thinking, oh, Doreen is like, oh, how come you guys are up at like 7.30? And then obviously Sharon's like, it's 7.30? She goes, oh, if I didn't wake you up now, you'd never have woken up. And Tracy's basically warning Sharon, look, I know what you're like. I want this wedding to be perfect. I want it to be smooth. I don't want these rich snobs looking at me. Please let this go without incident. And Doreen is going, you know what? I'm not going to come to the wedding. She brings this like tacky present. She brings a weighing scale and goes, this is the present. And she's like, I want to be alone. And then obviously Sharon's thinking there's something wrong. So uh, you got Tracy on the one hand humming the wedding march. And then you got Sharon humming the funeral one, which is, I think, yeah. And that's the funeral march. And obviously Garth is feeling nervous and he's like, ah. And uh, Daryl's dad comes around. And I think this was uh, Jim Branning from EastEnders. He plays uh, Daryl's dad. Nice. Quality actor. I love Jim. And uh, Dorian comes back and she's feeling happy again. She gives Garth a present and she's ready to go to the wedding. Sharon is still concerned about Dorian, but she's like, you know, Tracy's like, oh, leave Dorian alone. She's absolutely fine. Don't worry about her. Sharon does her hair up, but no one notices. Typical man, especially Garth, because obviously he's like, oh, hi, mom. And then obviously you got Sharon behind Tracy going, 
pointing, going, hey, 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 um, you look nice today. And then obviously, ah, oh, you'd have missed it. And gra- granddad is basically trying to talk Les out of get gra- grand. His name is Les, and he's talking Garth out of trying to get married. So he goes, oh, you're young. Like, here's, here's 50 quid. Take this money and run away. Don't get married. And uh, Dorian just gets upset for no reason because the champagne has gone flat. And then she snaps at Sharon. But obviously nobody sees it. And then she's like, look, look, Tracy, 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 there's something wrong with her. And then obviously two seconds later, Dorian is laughing and she's happy again. And obviously she's like, look, just go away. She's absolutely fine. Don't worry about it. And yeah, so it's it's, it's the wedding. Kimberly's mum is not happy about the pictures and the rest of Sharon and Tracy's mum, Sharon and Tracy's family turn up and they're basically just this common ragtag of people. Oi, oi, it's a wedding, it's your knees up. Where's all the jelly deals and, 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 and all of that. God, I hate that so much. Oi, oi. I just want to punch someone who says that. <laughs> Let's have a polar over. Oi, oi. <laughs> and uh, Sharon is still worried about Dorian but Tracy's like listen shut up about her and you need to do the speeches and obviously Sharon's trying to do speeches and trying to tell jokes but no one's really laughing and there's no jelly deals at the wedding and Kimberly's mum is just basically like just looking down on everybody and she's reading all the letters and she's like you know what most of them are dodgy and then someone goes, oh, like few words, long sentences, just like your husband. Hey! <laughs> and, and she's like, oh, well, one of the lines was, oh, well, to uh, Garth, we know you're a chef because you've got a bun in the oven. Hey! And all, all, all this stuff. But yeah, again, no one's laughing. And apparently Richard just comes to the wedding and he goes, look, Dorian left me this note. Dorian's turning 50, but she's really depressed about that. And apparently she takes some pills and they have to go to the house. Richard is basically confessing his love for Dorian, but she collapses and they find out that she's taken cod liver oil capsules. (laughs) And Dorian tells Sharon and Tracy that they mean a lot to her. And Kimberly's mom is still trying to talk her out of marrying Garth probably had a point in the end because their marriage didn't last. And yeah, they go back to the wedding. Tracy's fed up with Kimberly and starts basically swearing. She's like, oh, would you mind your language? And then all of a sudden it's like, mind my language? I'll show you mind your beep language. I'm going to have you, you silly car. And then and, and, and things of that nature. Right. Talk about your Christmas episode in March. This is, is it, was that when it was released? 1990. Oh, yeah. We're, no, we're in March. Sorry. I missed that. So in 1998, it was the last one episode I could find. So last one was 1998 Christmas special called Holy Ground. Tracy and Sharon are looking at a letter on the table. And it's a letter from a solicitor saying, like, you need to come for us. We might have some beneficial news. Dorian comes in. She's bought a horse because she went to the horses and she thinks she's like this, like, uh, I don't know what the word is, but basically she's like, thinks he's upper class and you know uh, ascot and things like this anyway so socialite 
Socialite, that's the word I was looking for. So basically, I think that, um, I think I remember this one. Uh, Tracy and Sharon are, yeah, so they've got the letter saying, come see us. They decide to go to um, Ireland in the end. So Dorian calls them, uh, then pass the phone on Tracy. Tracy is pregnant, is where, was where I first found out. Uh, someone died, they're mentioned in the will, so they're going to Ireland for the will reading. Sharon is singing A Long Way to Tipperary, um, and Tracy doesn't want to go because she's like literally ready to drop. Um, they turn up in Ireland, and there's one thing I noticed about this. There's loads of potato jokes. One thing, do you know there's some things you can joke about, some things you can't joke about, right? There there are loads of potato jokes with Ireland. And, like, a Brazilian people died because of potato famine. And yeah. it was, and it was the And it was the English that caused it, right? I'm not making that up. Yeah. So I don't understand why the potato jokes are okay. <laughs> it just seems like the Irish are fair game. Um, which I yeah, so I did, kind of didn't like that really. Um, anyway, um, so Sharon's talking to a vicar in a pub, and she's saying there's uh they need a miracle for like tourism or something. Um, so they go to the um Dorian goes to see her horse, and the horse owner is uh is it Mike from Tracy Beaker, which I which is a really thick accent though this time. I go to the will reading. They got a feel, but there's three there's a few between three brothers, and the girls have got to sort it out. Um, and they've got a field in between the, their fields, so each of the brothers have to cross the field to get to their own field. So, turns out that Dorian's horse is a retired racehorse. She thinks it's actually a racehorse. Um, and so they go and get the. Um, they want to go and get their money back. And uh, Mike, I'm gonna call him Mike. He comes in and um, to buy the horse off him again. And uh, they, they, she bought it for five thousand. He gives her ten grand for the horse back and they think like oh yeah we've got a better thing turns out it's worth 50 grand because the horse is in foal to a uh, race horse um so it's actually worth a lot more than that then so to, to to sort out a few between the three brothers they all have to pay one has to pay one the other one has to pay one when every time they cross a field and um they're each responsible for policing that and then they have to give all the proceeds to the church um so then the horse is in labor so they all run into the stable uh, turns out the horse isn't going to give birth that night, but then Tracy does, and she gives birth in the stable, and there's like sheep around, and the three wise men are the three brothers, and it's kind of the nativity scene. Uh, a bit of a cheesy ending. On the whole, a decent episode. That was it. That was the finale. Cool. So I went to the 2014 version. So this was the first episode back. So basically, Sharon has moved back to Edmonton, back into her council flat, because Tracy gets married again. And basically, Sharon didn't like her husband, so she ends up leaving. So they're basically going to a book signing for an author called Foxy Cohen. And the book, I think, was called Sixty Shades of Green. And obviously, it's a, a parody of uh, Fifty Shades. And it ends up the author being Dorian. Yeah, we find out that Sharon's been struggling since uh, she moved out. Daryl has moved to Wales. And yeah, so basically, they're at the book signing. Dorian turns up. She goes, look, it's not my name anymore. My name is now Foxy Cohen. I think her pseudonym. <laughs> it's it's the pseudonym, and and then uh, she's obviously doing the book signing. She gets obviously she gets sent a, a writ, or she's being served, and so 
Tracy is giving Sharon a lift. And now that her house is smaller because of the bedroom tax. Because you know how we were talking about how the government have done some disgusting things. Like the bedroom tax has to be up there as well. Because it was like, yeah, oh, is that a two bedroom flat that y'all got? Yeah, either we'll make it one bedroom or you're going to have to basically pay for an empty room. And obviously that was the uh, the bedroom tax and that was uh, pretty uh, pretty despicable. And uh, she's obviously talking and Tracy's like, look, I've kicked Ralph out because he's uh, been stealing my money. And so she's like to Sharon, look, why don't you come move back? And obviously Sharon comes back and then obviously they're like, oh, why don't you tell me? Why don't you tell me all this stuff? And obviously we meet uh, Sharon's son, Travis, and he's not happy that Sharon's moving back in, but it's basically all pretend. And obviously Tracy's like, look, you two need to get in there and you need to sort it out. And obviously they hug and they're like, oh, you know, I'm so happy to have you back. And she's saying that, you know, I missed everything. I've missed you, blah, 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 blah. Dorian comes to knocks on the door and she goes, I've got a big, big crisis and I need your help. And that's exactly what happened in the first episode where she bursts in going, I'm in a crisis. I need your help. So I did like that kind of, you know, remembering that. And uh, Dorian, yeah, she's obviously telling them, look, my assets have been frozen. And obviously there's all this legal mumble jumbo. And obviously Travis knows all these words. And obviously he goes, oh, I've been given a writ. And then obviously they're all looking at Travis. She's basically getting sued. And, you know, the, the writers of Fifty Shades of Grey are suing for copyright and things like that. And she goes, oh, the only thing I'm allowed is a thousand pounds a week. So I'm going to have to find somewhere to stay because my flat's been gone. And Dorian wants to stay. And she goes, you know what? I, I want to stay. And then obviously, you know, I just goes, I'll, I'll pay as well. And then Tracy's like, yeah, I'm going to need you to pay £500 plus council tax. And Travis has an ensuite room, but he has to give it up. And Sharon has to now stay in the box room because Dorian gets to sleep in the uh, the ensuite room. Because look, I'm paying £500. I'm not going to pay £500 to sleep in a box room. And they're all having dinner with the meat that Sharon won at a meat raffle. So they're basically enjoying that. And Garth comes back from Australia and he's back with his new missus, Marcy, and her daughter, Poppy. And Tracy's saying, look, you can stay in the house. Sharon and Tracy have to share a bed because it's, it's, it's all a bit crowded and they all have to sort of squeeze in together. I mean, it looked great from what I saw. Like, I like the visuals were, were okay. Yeah, I like how they were talking about, sorry, they were talking about, you know, the modern country and the UK and how things are. And obviously you had uh, Sharon going, look how difficult it is now for working people. Everything has been cut. Services has been cut. And obviously Tracy's like, oh, well, we're all in this together, aren't we? And obviously Sharon's like, yeah, have you been around this neighborhood? Talking about we're all in this together. That's just a load of bull crap that uh, George Osborne came out with when he was just basically cutting everything and we were living in the midst of austerity. 
Um, yeah, any last words on uh, Birds of a Feather or Boff? It was really nice to revisit this show, actually. Um, it's really nice to see uh, kind of a show where I can definitely see why my mum used to like it and, you know, we used to sit down and watch it, I guess. Um, the theme tune is so good, this show. Mm. Like, whenever I hear that, that theme tune, I'm thinking of this show um, and the friendship and stuff of these these, these two women in, in real life and in um, and on the show, so... Yeah, no. It, this this is another theme song that takes me back to childhood. Definitely takes me back. Definitely takes me back. And it was a really really good show. We're gonna have to pick now. Oh, this is even easy, even easier. Then, to be honest, um, so obviously second place, uh, girls on top, and first place is birds with a feather. Um, that was an easy one to be honest. Um, and golden girls was head and shoulders above the rest. So I'm glad it was a special. I'm sorry I didn't realize that it was a special, but yeah. Birds of a Feather by a Country Mile. It was the much superior show. It did hold up for me. And any show that's basically set in and around uh, the Essex area, it's always going to get my vote. So, yeah, good, good, on, good on them for this show. And thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Again, Golden Girls. Can't speak highly enough about that show. I get it. I get it, I get it, I get it. I get the hype, I get the reason why so many people were drawn to this show. One one thing that would be really good, though, is if like Netflix or something, Prime maybe picked this show up for the UK because it's a nightmare to watch. Apparently, I think Disney turned it down. Well, didn't it turn it down, but I think... I think Disney had the option to put it on Disney Plus, but I think it's one of those where I can't imagine they used a lot of music. So I don't know if it's going to be too... Like, for example, The Wonder Years. That should be on a streaming platform, but because they used so much music from that era, era, that period, it's going to be hella expensive to to buy. But Mm. I can't imagine Golden Girls being in terms of that being too expensive to to pick up i don't know yeah but yeah i would we would i would love to see it on a, a platform i think disney is the place for it but i i don't know maybe with enough fan fan like reaction and 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 fan demand then it might be put on um onto uh, disney plus or yeah. any any one of the uh, platforms because I want, yeah, you'd want to, you'd want to, you know, have access to this. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yep. And on that note, we'll bring this episode to an end. Yesterday's capers is available wherever you get your podcast from. So give us a like, give us a share, give us a holler. Um, yeah, you could probably listen to what we were talking about earlier on. I might put that out separately. Get in touch. Let us know what you think. What, 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 what we can do. We want to be good allies. We want to do things right. So we can only be guided by you guys so uh, or you gals. So please get in touch with that and then let us know what we can do in that respect. You can find us on the socials at Yesterday's Capers 1 on Instagram. It's Yesterday Capers on Twitter. YouTube.com forward slash Yesterday's Capers. Assuming YouTube don't bug out with uh, copyright. You can find me on the socials at Abdullah underscore Molim on Instagram, Abdullah Molim on on Twitter. 
like I said, get in touch, get in contact, and join us next time for another episode of Yesterday's Capers. <laughs>